Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. Hello, welcome to this week's edition of the Africa Climate Conversations. My name is Sophie Mbugwa. Now, local communities are very key in terms of conserving biodiversity, protecting wildlife, and adapting to climate change. But these communities work with local institutions, and these local institutions partner with international organizations to help these communities grow resilience and also protect the biodiversity and wildlife that lives within these communities. During the Africa Climate Summit week, there was a report that was released looking into this partnership between local institutions and their international partners. That is the report we'll be delving into, and I'm just going to welcome my guest. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Show. Please introduce yourself. I am Reson Kantai Duff, and I am the Portfolio Funding Director at Malia Sili, which is an organization that seeks to accelerate community conservation by working with local organizations across Africa. We're currently working with over 40 organizations in 12 countries. Our work and our hope is that community conservation can succeed and that these local organizations are the engine of impact for their landscapes, for wildlife, for climate change, for biodiversity. Personally, I have worked in the conservation world for about 15 years with local organizations all through. I've just now shifted to um, an international organization with an African heart working with local organizations. My interest has always been with indigenous people, with local communities, and really believing that their work and that their impact needs to be at the forefront and at the at the center and and so i've spent most of my my time trying to work out and trying to use all of my energies to to reflect that whether it is in the funding space or just in terms of the day-to-day workings of local organizations and supporting local people to do what they do best. You spent quite some good portfolio of years working with uh, indigenous community, 15 years. I just want to you know, expound how key are indigenous people or communities, not just in conservation, but addressing their own sustainability and also improving in terms of contributing to economic development in Africa. In order to answer that, I will go to the COVID years. And I think it was during COVID time that you really saw not just the value, but the pivotal role that local communities, that local organizations play in these landscapes. When COVID happened, actually, I was working in in northern Kenya at the time, and COVID was, I think, our third or fourth crisis of that time. The crisis started with a canine distemper outbreak that affected domestic animals and and wildlife across the region. Then we moved into floods. Then we moved into the locust invasion that swept through Kenya, um, which happened from January. So by the time COVID hit, we were on crisis number four or five. And this was the crisis where all, almost all, you know, funders, tourists, every international group left the landscapes. And what happened was that you then saw what local organizations and what local communities were doing in their spaces. You know, conservation organizations became the, you know, you, you're ferrying livestock from place to place during the, the drought. You are working to deal with the health concerns and health issues around COVID for your communities. 
at the time when landscapes emptied out, you saw that local organizations were going nowhere. These organizations were there to stay. And this is actually the main quotes for the report that has just come out, Rooting for Change, which starts off with a, a quote by Dominic Nguese from Nature Cameroon. And he says, the local organization is pivotal. It is there forever. It is not like the international organization that has a limited period of time. Local organizations are going nowhere. They are in their landscapes for the long term and for every wave of crisis or conflict, whichever issue that has to happen. And so what is then the most important thing is that local organizations need support at every level. They need to be supported at every level. They need to be recognized for their expertise and for the role that they play, and they need to be supported at every level to do the work that they already know how to do. Fantastic. So today we're talking about a report, Routing for Change, released by Malia Sili. But before we delve into this report, I just want to start the conversation from a report that was released last year by Malia Sili, Greening the Grassroots. And this report mentions, and I quote, that the prevalence of short-term project funding accompanied by difficult reporting requirements, the high cost of securing funding, restrictions of funding eligibility, all create a formidable set of barriers for African organizations. When I was reading this, it took me back to some times back, I visited Trukana County. And one of the things that I found by the Lake uh, Trukana, these communities dry fish, and they've done that traditionally for a very long time. So this organization comes and builds them a very good solar drying installation. But these community members were not using it. So I asked why, and they were like, they never asked us. We didn't want this. So they wanted something totally different, but then they would still go ahead and do their things despite all this million dollar kind of project that was actually there. And I was looking at this report and I was thinking, one of the barriers is actually short-term project funding. So if you as Malia Sili or another NGO that is locally there, you're given a project that you're probably supposed to do within a year or two. Does this short-term funding really leave rooms for comprehensive surveys to take place to assess community needs, problems, and also their proposed solution for sustainability of these projects that you're implementing? No, it does not. <laughs> it's the short answer. Yeah. It really does not. And and just, just to pre preface this with, you know, this report, Rooting for Change, Strengthening Local to Global Partnerships in African Conservation, it came out of this very startling statistic that only 1% of all the funding that was pledged, you know, in Glasgow and in all of these other multilateral environmental agreements, only 1% made it to Indigenous people and local communities. So the report that was done, Greening the Grassroots, uh, that came out last year, was now looking at what local organizations really feel that they need a, to unlock this funding, but also how can this funding come in the way that local organizations need it to come? And in that report, 71% of the respondents talked about the fact that short-term funding was one of their critical barriers. So, you know, the things that you're describing of what happens, A, it makes sure that local organizations cannot plan. So you're taking whatever various granting organizations are able to give you and then you cannot plan for the future you also because you're only receiving a one-year grant you're only receiving a very short-term grant you then 
might also have less power to really talk about what is it that is critical that you need in this particular place. And then, as you've talked about, is there space then for proper monitoring and evaluation? And you really can't do a lot of that. In this report, there are a few other quotes that talk about this same issue in, in broader detail and talking about saying that maybe the international organizations that come in that have this very short-term funding that say it's, it's only for six months and that they are expecting that at the end of this, a community will be empowered to do X, Y, Z, to be empowered to do, to be experts. And the, the, that particular respondent spoke about it and said, that is impossible. You cannot be empowered in six months. That is not how this works. So the, the Greening the Grassroots report really came out with some very strong recommendations around the need for multi-year core funding support, because a lot of the time there's also only programmatic support rather than funding for these organizations that need to keep the lights on and they need to be able to, to get out there and do the work that needs to be done. So that, that was the rallying cry of the previous report. The rallying cry of this report is not that they do not want international partnerships. These partnerships add a lot of value and, and the report kind of goes into a lot of detail about what sort of value international NGOs provide to them, whether it's on the policy side, the funding side, some technical support, all of these things are, are things that international organizations continue to provide, but all of these things need reform. And the top-down approaches when it comes to funding are the things that lead to that solar drying, contraption that you mentioned that nobody asked for <laughs> and that now we, we we have to contend with and, and somebody's written a report somewhere that ticked some boxes. Instead, local organizations are saying, we have the agendas. Come and like leave these transactional relationships behind. Can we have real strategically aligned relationships that actually will meet needs? Because at the end of the day, nobody wants a junk solar drying piece of equipment. Not the international organization and definitely not the local organization and definitely not the local community. Nobody needs this thing. So how do we do it so that even as we are unlocking this funding, we are actually getting the money to the things that are identified by local people as what they need to, to achieve you know, whether it is, you know, around climate change, around biodiversity, around land restoration, around the things that they need for their livelihoods in these landscapes. What are the key things that the report identified that is actually impacting effectiveness of African NGOs? This report looked at these partnerships between local and international NGOs. And the reason it looked at them is because this was one of the things that was identified as one of the key funding barriers. So funding is at the heart of, of a lot of these issues. And the report found basically that nine out of 10 of these organizations really felt that these relationships were very important to their work. So almost all these organizations work in some shape or form with international organizations. Eight out of 10 of them said that they provide critical resources. But seven out of 10 then also said that these relationships are challenging to them. So this was the basis of really looking at, okay, these relationships need to carry on and they, they clearly are part of the impact that we need to see when we're looking at, at the crises that we're facing and solving some of the crises that we're facing. But if they are challenging, how do we flesh out 
you know some of the challenges and what what we've done is we're, we're using some of the frameworks from from the greening the grassroots report and also a previous report that we did uh, several years ago with an organization called well grounded um, called strengthening civil society organizations and this report now looked at basically the life cycle of, of a partnership so you look at okay we start from uh, the selection, you know, both the, the local organization and the international organization shop around for a partner to achieve a particular goal. And then you go into how do they structure that relationship and then how do they nurture that relationship in the long term. And at each of these levels, there are challenges. We launched the report at the Business of, of Conservation Conference in Kigali. And we had several CSOs in the room. We also had some international NGO representatives in the room. And there were lots of conversations, like if we're looking at the first part, how do you do this partner selection? And of course, these things happen in real time. An international NGO has an opportunity to apply for some big grant. And what was talked about in the room by the international NGO representatives was that we seek very quickly, who is it in our networks that can help us effect this partnership? And what you can see even from there is that there isn't time to pause and think about how top-down this is. It's like, oh, I need you. You need to do this. Get in line in, in one way or another. And so 66% of the participants in this report said that the top-down approach is one of the biggest issues. Uh, and it starts from that point. Are you seeking a partnership or are you seeking somebody to effect a certain goal? And then there's confusion over roles. There are misaligned expectations. When it comes to confusion over rules, now this is around where you're structuring or nurturing. And you have situations where an international NGO has been working with you closely on a particular set of goals, on a particular project. And then at some point, they open up shop right next to you. And this was one of the examples given by one of the, the participants of just like, so who is supposed to be doing this work? <laughs> Uh, at the end of the day, is, is it you? Is it is it us who you have been supporting over time? And the misaligned expectations, I think we've spoken about that in terms of especially the short-term thinking that sometimes happens with some of these, these projects. The local organization knows that this is going to take several years and many iterations. Uh, the international NGO uh, has money for a six-month cycle or a one-year cycle. So then how do you meet in the middle with these expectations? These are some of the key highlights that came out of the report. And, you know, we, we were able to interview 60 individuals from over 18 countries. And, you know, this really was all across sub-Saharan Africa. For, so West, Central, East and Southern Africa. Um, we had, and including Madagascar, we had, you know, participants speaking from all of these places. So we were able to glean kind of the high level commonalities across that board. And we were also able to get, as we've spoken about through, through our conversation, we're able to get these little heard voices, the voices that will not be front and center of many of the conferences, people who are just quietly getting on with the work. And these are really the voices that we need to center because they are the ones who are doing the work. And at the end of the day, what did we get? We, we were able to distill some basic principles for partnerships. What is it that, that, that what, what are some of the most important ways to make these partnerships work because they are important? Had a high level, two, two main takeaways on that were just about investing time in mutual trust and in two way communication at every stage. So, very often, what happens in many of these partnerships is 
the partnership will start with a flurry of, of a lot of communication about how to how to get the grant, how to get this thing started. Maybe not enough conversation about how to select and structure this partnership. Then that's now where you get some of the, the challenges and the barriers that we're talking about. So really investing in mutual trust, really investing in two-way communication is really important. Not just to start off with it, but to come back several times to make sure that this partnership is actually achieving what each of you are expecting it to achieve. What I think we saw from this report is that nothing in this report is new for anybody who has entered any partnership. But what is new is getting these voices in the room to say exactly what it is not working and exactly what it is that could work better. So whether it's about how to set the agenda, whether it's about providing the correct visibility opportunities for these local organizations. So that is one of the things around sharing credit that, that was also talked about in the principles. International organizations, very often you hear them up in lights, having done some critical work in a critical habitat or ecosystem or a place, but you don't actually hear that there were five local organizations that actually did that work. And what that does is it cripples these five organizations because now when nobody hears about them, then they don't get the funding and the support that they need to actually grow and sustain their work over time. So how do we give them credit? And then how do you build this trust? And that's that's probably the wider question and the bigger conversation in, in this report. There are several ways that, that the partners talked about that go to building the trust. But yes, so in a nutshell, this report is about building positive partnerships, building strategically aligned partnerships, and the fact that these partnerships are critical for, for conservation. Yeah, thanks for that. I'm actually listening to you and I'm thinking, I have seen this happen in other different quarters because a funder has their own interest why they are investing in a fund. And sometimes what I found from my own personal experience also is sometimes even from us, like when you're looking for grants, you have very good communication at the beginning, back and forth, they're confirming this and that and that, and they need details here and there. Then they go silent. Then the next thing, you have someone coming all the way to literally do what you had proposed to do. Yeah, so I, I mean, as you've spoken about it, basically you are alluding to this last point that I made, which is perpetuating the lack of trust. Because on one side, and I'll just read this part, tied to conservation's colonial legacy, the mistrust comes from both sides. Mistrust towards the international NGO's intentions in forging relationships and mistrust in the knowledge and capabilities of local organizations, which is in a nutshell what you've just talked about. You know, So as soon as I, I'm in this relationship, my first question, if I'm a local organization, is is this organization going to start setting up shop next to me? Are they fishing for information? Your mind, unfortunately, immediately goes to this very mistrustful place. We're not putting ourselves out there so that people can come and, and duplicate our work and then eventually take all the credit for the things that we've been building for several years. I'm not going to do it. And then on the international uh, NGO side, as you said, they have this idea, they have agendas, bigger agendas that they have and they want to set, and they have this mistrust in the knowledge and capability of this look. Can they do it? Can they really do it? Maybe we need to send someone who can. Maybe we need to, to try and do X, Y, Z. So you've got this mistrust brewing on both sides, and this is what makes for these very unsuccessful partnerships time and time again. So, you know, from what we've heard from local organizations, 
who've spoken during the the business of conservation conference um honey guide was talking about a relationship that they were having with iucn and they said they did walk in with misgivings because they've had not great experiences with other international outfits and ngos but what iucn did was time and time again they kept asking what do you need what is it that you want what is it that will work best in this situation how is it that you want this to work out and the more and more they asked the more um the honey guide team were like these guys are actually interested they're not coming with a hidden agenda and i think something that needs to be noted about a lot of um international organizations at this time at this critical time and i say critical time because um uh, you know we've gone through a racial justice movement we've gone through covid and a, you know a pandemic we've gone through so many serious crises that really the the localization agenda in the world is growing and is crescendoing right now like the idea that you need to trust the local people to set the agenda you need to trust the local people to use the money that needs to be spent that there will be no impact unless the local organizations and local groups drive this agenda that is now more common knowledge so these international ngos are changing they are actually making sure that they are not only incorporating this knowledge but actually putting pen to paper and putting you know the, the rubber is meeting the road right now so as much as as you say yes a lot of the time where the money comes from is where the agenda is set now that is changing quite a lot and you know we're working with the rights and resources initiative uh, initiative and the um and the tenure facility who have this uh, big kind of consortium group uh, called path to scale where they're looking at what does it take to localize conservation funding to indigenous people and local communities across the world these large international organizations are part of this and they're trying to see how to change this and yes it remains to be seen in many quarters which is why there was a need for this report to really flesh out like these partnerships are still not working guys how do we make them work and you know if you really are true to form how do we really create this trust and part of it is just that communicate time and time again that this is going to be a different thing this is not going to be a duplication of your efforts this is not going to be a top down agenda this is not going to be a place where you become invisible this is going to be different and i think for organizations that are just at the beginning of this journey i'm hoping that this report is really going to be critical for them to have that self assessment where is it that we that we have only the transactional partnerships where we just you basically just pay a local organization to do the work and you you've already set the agenda everything is there that's what a transactional partnership looks like uh and then you 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 ask them 10 times for different sorts of reports and different ways that they that they must report to you how are you doing this differently so yeah this is this is the hope for that this report will generate constructive dialogue and constructive uh, discussions around this not really about pointing the fingers at at these international organizations i think that they have received enough of that um, <laughs> both in the past and recently what they need is a framework and this is what this report is trying to do are we also as africans supposed to be looking inward probably and asking ourselves 
for years and for years have we had an over-reliance on Western donors and philanthropists. Are we not supposed to get to a point and look within? Yes, we want the international organization to trust local organizations to set that particular agenda. But should we also be looking inward within ourselves and asking, okay, can we also get the money to get our stuff right, to actually sort out the things that are around that is happening to us without having that long-term historical looking to the West for philanthropy and donors. Yet, from within our countries, in Africa itself, every year, Africa loses 88.6 billion US dollars, about 3.7% of its GDP. That is according to the UN Conference on Trade and Development, last year report on illicit flows. Yet, this is amount of money that could go a billion miles in terms of assisting organizations, it could also go into a lot of development, enabling that. Because when you go to the climate conferences, everything is about give us money. When you go to biodiversity, everybody needs this money. When you go to the certification money, but we are losing too much money from the continent. Are we not supposed to be looking within ourselves so that as we set this agenda ourselves, we also set we have financial and probably a lot of that will be sorted. I 100% agree with you that a conversation needs to start you know, we need to fan the flames of this conversation that our governments, our people as Africans need to start playing a much stronger role in this conversation. Um, conservation has been for too long funded externally and we really need to work out what it is that we should be doing to make sure that this is part of our agenda because every other part of industry and work and, you know, every other aspect relies on this. We rely on our natural resources for every single thing. And when we look at some of the inequalities that come out, whether it's that women bear a disproportional brunt of climate crisis or biodiversity crisis or, the, or these issues, all of these inequalities stem from the natural resource that we need to pay more attention to and care for and local, our governments, our local people around should be funding and should be really focusing on this a lot more. So 100%, we should be looking at how these illicit need to stop and need to be redirected to the organizations doing this work. And it needs to not be seen again as a, as a Western agenda. That said, I think that we should continue to hold the multilateral environmental agreements that we have all been party to. We should continue to hold them to account. So when pledges happen, they need to be followed through and our governments, our organizations, every single group needs to continue to make sure that these things are followed through. 1% of all funding going to indigenous people in the world is ridiculous. And that still needs to change. So even as we are trying to divert and redirect resources to these local organizations internally, I don't believe that that precludes us from holding governments, organizations, in philanthropists, whoever they are who have pledged this, to actually go to the point of impact. And part of the reason is, and I, I, think, I think I read somewhere, that accepting the status quo is not a neutral choice. The status quo that, oh, it's, you know, fine, you know, this is where we are, but maybe, maybe what we can do is, is we can try and redirect from the African perspective. Yes, we should. But this 99% also needs to come to these organizations, to these local groups, because it was promised and because they are owed this considering they 
their indigenous people i think take up about five percent of the world's population and yet they manage or co-manage 85 percent of the world's natural resources and communal areas what do we need to do for this money to flow because when you talk about one percent of funding going into indigenous people and this is globally when you go to research and development you will find like between the period of 1990 and 2022 only 10 percent of that funding was actually allocated to africa and then you find 78% of that 10% of fund was allocated to European and US-based institutions researching about Africa. But only 15% of that 10% of that fund <laughs> is what was allocated to African-based institutions. And only, you know, 5 to 10% of philanthropy that came to Africa went to African organizations. Now, see, exactly. But you see, the funds are available. Yes. The COVID crisis itself showed that the the US allocated 43 trillion US dollars cushioning its people against the COVID crisis. Yeah. The money exists, it is there and it can flow. Reality, it's our own people that are on the front line. When you go to these conservation areas, you find that some of the areas you find the tourist revenues that comes, it's not recycling back. It's actually not getting back to this community. So what is the mechanism by which we need to make sure that this money flows, that these communities feel really monetary? There is that financial benefit that comes from conserving this ecosystem and living with this, this ecosystem. Because you can't keep asking people to conserve on an empty stomach. But the smaller money that we are getting of a tourist, a two tourists, 20 tourists coming in, we could make sure that this 10% of revenue really gets this community. We're trying not only to, to make sure that it's 10%, we're trying to increase it a lot further, both from a government framework, but also the local organizations that we are working with, such as the Masai Mara Wildlife Conservancy Association. These are the organizations that we know are working on those mechanisms to ensure that local people indeed are benefiting. So that local expertise is there. I think it's for us to highlight that these organizations exist and that they know that they are developing these frameworks and mechanisms on the ground to ensure that the local Maasai woman is able to get those benefits, but also to put their voices into setting the agenda, which I think, you know, continues to be a rallying cry of this report of every place is that these local voices need to be there at every level. So we, you have a local organization, but you have those local people who need to be in these discussions and so that then can, can trickle up. But just, yes, you have nailed, the, the nail is definitely on the head about the fact that these things need to be internal discussions um, in Africa very, very much. What do we need to do to make sure that these voices can be heard? Well, you know, this report, I think, is the start of that because we're looking and, and you know, very often reports like this are accused of, of being very Eastern, Southern Africa focused. This report actually was able to get voices in the room from West Africa, from Central Africa, from Madagascar, from, from everywhere. So the first part is to highlight to to push forward these voices that are not often heard. That, I think, is definitely our first step. These little known voices are here. They are in this report. They need more support. They need more amplification at every level. What else should we be doing? I think following some of the principles that this report is, is hoping for, I think will really help 
you know, when it comes to the international organizations, what should they be doing? What should they be thinking about? They should be thinking about what it takes to move from transactional to strategic partnerships. They should be valuing local knowledge. They should be bringing attention to partner selection and engagement. They should really be reflecting on their role in each and every landscape that they step into. And they should simplify their administration so that whatever the partnership is about, whatever grants need to go out, these organizations are not having to go through laborious and onerous reporting. But as local organizations, you know, you spoke about this at the very beginning, Sophie, about recognizing their power as local organizations. Very often you walk into the room already feeling that you are at a less powerful position, but there needs to be more recognition that you actually hold a lot of power because you hold knowledge, you hold, you are the ones who are in that landscape doing this thing. Being clear about strategies and needs, being an attractive partner, you know, just because you have the knowledge does not mean that you are the best communicator of it. So the more you can invest within the organization, within these communities to become the best organization that you can be. And also just imagining new partner models. Maybe you as one organization to this very large international organization has not been working, but maybe if you have a local consortium and you are all doing various things within that landscape, you build a different sort of power in that situation. So what is it that these organizations can do? These are what the what organizations can do on those levels. And at the end of the day, we need to move from mistrust. We need to we need to be able to build trust at at all levels. You know, from a local organization perspective, when you walk in and you're worried, you communicate. You say, I need to know, is there another agenda here? And as an international organization, when you walk in, you know, you need to really see how can how can you trust this these these local organizations to get this job done and if you have any misgivings you speak about it rather than looking for a proxy or looking for somebody to to duplicate their efforts and then for for the broader public for everybody i guess just the broader understanding that these organizations need these partnerships and at the end of the day that these organizations can fix the challenging parts of these partnerships. What we can do to highlight and amplify local organization voices, whatever we can do. Very often, people don't even know the names of the local organizations around them. If we are expecting more Africans to fund these organizations, we need to highlight them. We need to make them more visible if we know them. Put them at the, at the top and front and center in the discussions. Yes, I have to let you go. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so very much for having me. This was really a pleasure. And that was Lesson Kantai Duff, who is the Malia Sili Portfolio Funding Director, talking about partnership between local CSOs, NGOs, and their international partners in conservation. Remember, you can listen to this podcast and many, many others that we have produced through Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and so many other channels that you listen to your other podcasts from. And also from our website, www.africaclimateconversations.com. Also, remember, we have a new video that we have released, Reintroducing Africanism in Conservation. Please do watch that video on our YouTube channel, Africa Climate Conversations, which you can also access on our website, www 
www.africaclimateconversations.com. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and also subscribe if you haven't to our podcast on all these platforms that you can find our podcast there. Leave us a comment also and remember if you want to get in touch directly in touch with us, our email address is info at africaclimateconversations.com and also you can get in touch with us directly on our Twitter, Instagram and also Facebook pages as well as you can get in touch with me directly on my social media pages that is Sophie Mbogwa or S Mbogwa on Twitter, Sophie Dance on Instagram and also Sophie Mbogwa on Facebook and LinkedIn I'm there as Sophie Mbogwa but I'll see you in two weeks time thank you so much for joining us and joining with us take care of yourself, Kwaheri for now my name is Sophie Mbogwa Africa Climate Conversations Thank you.